Long-distance online dating, though, can be a little dangerous. Just ask Alexander Peter Cirk, C-I-R-K, who lives in Holland but had fallen in love with a Chinese woman he had met online. Fed up with the distance between them, he decided uh, to get a visa, booked a flight, flew 5,000 miles to see her. He sent her a picture of his itinerary. But when he arrived at the Shangsha airport, she was nowhere to be found. Convinced that she would eventually come to him, however, Cirque decided to stay at the terminal and to patiently wait for her. Ten days later, the frail-looking Cirque had to be taken to the hospital from the airport. He was waiting on his girlfriend. A Chinese TV team was able to find her, and she confessed that she thought that he was joking that he would come to her in China. Now, hopeful that none of us will have to be put in a hospital after waiting around an airport for days. Those feelings of hopefulness that turns into hopelessness, of patience that turns into impatience, that's something that I think we're all familiar with. I would add this, that when it comes to God, he's never joking about a promise. He always intends to keep it. Consider Noah. God promised Noah rain and an ark and that he and his family would be saved. And indeed, that's exactly what happened. Consider Israel in bondage to Egypt. God made this promise. He said, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. God kept his word. And these plagues that God sent to Egypt served to pry the hand of Pharaoh from the Israelites, and he let them go. In addition, when Jesus came to earth, he fulfilled over 300 promises or prophecies given about the coming of Jesus. God kept his promises. Now, when Jesus came to earth, God gave another promise. It was really not a new one. It was a repeat of some others in the Old Testament about the kind of Messiah Jesus would be. And it said this, And behold, you will conceive in your womb, an angel talking to Mary, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. A king with a throne to reign in his kingdom. The point is, is that when Israel 
was looking for a king. They wanted a military king. And we have a tendency to just kind of criticize them for that. But when you read something like this promise, I think we need to be a little bit more understanding of the Israelites that they were responding to genuine promises that God had made about Jesus. The problem is it wasn't the only group of promises that God was making about Jesus. What they didn't know was the fulfillment would come later and that the rejection of God's redemptive plan on the cross caused them to miss a whole slew of other promises that God gave. They were unwilling to wait for all the promises to be fulfilled. They wanted it now. In fact, the Apostle Paul would comment that the Jews want signs and more signs, right? In other words, they wanted miraculous intervention. I mean, it's cool to have the ark. Let's, let's do something like an ark today. I like that split sea thing. Let's, let's split an ocean. Dramatic displays. Now we're cooking. But it seems that life often involves more waiting than it does dramatic supernatural intervention. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but we do a lot of waiting. Waiting for God to fulfill his promise. I mean, Isaiah said, by his stripes we are healed. Ever known of any Christians that have died of a disease? Uh-huh. Christians get cancer. The world is a mess. It's called the Prince of Peace. Hmm. I mean, people are afraid because there is not peace in this world. There certainly is not peace in this country. Shoot, there's not peace even in our city, right? I mean, people are divided for multiple reasons. Where is the Prince of Peace? We wait. He's kept many promises already. But we still wait for a king with a throne to reign in his kingdom forever. You know, after Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, or the only Italian prophet, Malachi. Um, <laughs> Israel was without a new prophet for over 400 years. They waited. Then came another generation. They waited. No prophet, no new sign. Then came another generation. They waited again. No prophet. No Messiah. They waited some more. Then came another generation. Five or six generations. And the Jews were parched to drink in another sign that hadn't come for over 400 years. They wanted badly to get a Messiah. And then Jesus came on the scene. So they thought they were done waiting. I don't know about you, but our Christmas 
involves multiple UPS deliveries over a period of three or four weeks as Janet shops for grandkids. And they wanted Jesus to be the UPS man that delivers all the packages on the same day for everyone's Christmas, right? There was no waiting for multiple days for multiple packages. Give it all to us right now. That was their problem. Couldn't see it extended out. We will not wait any longer. The importance of Israel in these promises and their view of themselves as having this Messiah, they wanted it now. It caused great impatience and multiple problems. One is with Rome. Insurrection after insurrection, the Jews produced because they did not want to be under the Romans. And then it eventually led to their rejection of Jesus because they did not want a suffering servant. They wanted a military king that would deliver them from Rome. They wanted all the packages delivered from their list, and they want them now. Remember the Old Testament scriptures that spoke of not only of the king, but of the suffering servant? Israel had a tough time seeing a prince giving Israel peace and a humble man being a, a sacrifice for sin. The New Testament speaks of this. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or in Ephesians, it says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Jesus did bring peace. It was peace with God. He also brought unity. When Jews and Gentiles come to Christ, they will not be at war with one another. Remember this, that no true, lasting, racial Peace will happen without Christ. All the education, all the other things that our world tries to do to bring it about, Christ has to be at the center. I've seen it happen here in our own city, black and white churches coming together around Jesus. It's a wonderful thing. Take Jesus out of the picture and it ain't happening. Not to this degree, not anything enduring. A unified body in Christ. Throughout the Gospels, we read that during his three-year ministry, Jesus was headed to Jerusalem. We know what that meant, right? It meant hardship. He had purpose in his heart to accomplish the will of God. For the Son of Man seek to save that which is lost. He knew it meant a cross. Jerusalem was his place of death. It says something to us about the Christian life. One of my little pet peeves is how the gospel is presented, particularly in America, infused with the, like the American dream. That if you come to Jesus, great riches and blessings and abundant life will be yours. Let's whitewash all the other things that might happen in terms of suffering, hardship, Remember the life of our Lord Jesus 
who looked to Jerusalem, and that meant a cross. There would be suffering if you're going to obey God. And for us today, we have to remember that. Listen, I want blessing. I want God to do big and great things. Nothing wrong with that at all. But our life with hardship. Days before he died, Jesus would enter Jerusalem. Remember how? He didn't look like Russell Crowe waving his sword and gladiator. No. He was on a donkey. A humble entrance into the city to to declare peace. And peace would come through submission of the heart, not through the point of a spear. Peace was primarily defined as a new relationship with God. It was marked as by intimacy and close fellowship because our sin problem was taken care of in Christ. I mean, this has so many applications. Peace, intimacy with God. I mean, look at a marriage. Intimacy in a marriage does not happen because it's easy. Most married couples I talk to, intimacy happens because of really hard work. Sometimes it feels like you are in a wrestling match. You don't want to talk anymore, but you know it's going to have to happen if you're going to find resolution. And at the end is understanding. But it is hard work. Listen, it's nothing to be married. Well, I shouldn't say it's nothing. It's something, certainly a lot more for her sake to put up with me for 40 years. To last 40 years in a marriage as we celebrate our anniversary this this week, it's not much to say you were married for 40 years. It's a lot more to say we're married for 40 years and intimacy happens more times than not. The good health is there. You only arrive at that by really hard work. Not only that, but it includes that. It's not easy. It's hard. That's what good marriages experience. And I think it's what a good Christian life experiences. There is blessing, but there is hardship. Imagine waiting for a king and you get a servant. Imagine waiting for a sword and shield to declare military victory. Instead, you get a crown of thorns. I mean, you talk about missing the boat. I mean, the misery we could save ourselves by letting God be God and not trying to make him into our own image. And the fact is, Jesus was really ignored for who he really was. They did not like the Jesus who presented himself as a suffering servant. It wasn't what they wanted. And it's the same today. Someone a milk toast Jesus, more the you know progressive kind. Never criticizing sin, hold hands, raise all your flags, celebrate everybody and whatever they're doing. Others want a brimstone Jesus, fixing every wrong now, and neither is correct. We can't make God in our image. God is not a Republican or a Democrat. If Christmas reminds us of anything, it's we're not to make God in our image. 
God's goal is not to bring us comfort, but to give us peace in him. His goal is not for us to get rich and live out some celestial American dream as is often presented. The gospel message is not if you, if you come to God, all of life is a blessing, all things will be better now, all suffering is over. There is blessing. All things will be better and suffering will cease, but that's called heaven. Like Israel, we get the benefit of Jesus as a suffering servant, but we have to wait for the consummation of other promises when he comes a second time. And waiting, that's the hard part. I don't know all the details of how and when he's coming back, but I know that we have to wait. I'm waiting because the God-man is finally going to bring peace and justice to the earth. Don't we all want justice? I do. I can't watch the news anymore. I've told you this multiple times. One, I mean, I still get the news by reading about it, but the network news, I just, I, it doesn't do me any good. I see things that need justice, and justice is not happening. I wait for justice for children who are mistreated and murdered in Kenya and, and Sudan, and then trafficked here in the U.S. I wait for justice for those who are victims of abuse. It doesn't seem to be happening. We live in a messed up world. This world is messed up. It's the world we live in. I don't like it, but it's the world we're in. I want justice. I want every single person to know that they are a precious gift from God. We don't live in that kind of world. Grabbing a baby from the womb and killing it? What kind of evil, messed up world do we live in? This is not the way it's to be. Waiting is hard. But we wait now. The time between the promise and the fulfillment seems interminable. Every time we take communion, by the way, do you know we are reminded to wait? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death and finish it for me. I gotta tell you, I am tired of mask division. I'm tired of political discord. I am tired of sickness. We are waiting. And you know what? The answer is not agreeing on all of that stuff. The answer is agreeing that Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And waiting does not come natural. One comedian commented on this when he said, people come back from flights and they tell you their story and it's a horror story. They say, it was the worst day of my life. First of all, we didn't board for 20 minutes. Then we get on the plane and they made us sit there on the runway for 40 minutes. 
And I say, oh, really? What happened next? Did you fly in the air incredibly like a bird? Did you partake the miracle of human flight? Everybody on every plane should be constantly screaming, wow, you're flying, you're sitting in a chair in the sky. Here's the thing, people say there are delays on flights. Delays, really? New York to California in five hours. It used to take years to do that, and a bunch of you would die on the way. (laughs) What makes waiting so much of an issue for us? Consider an article by the New York Times that may offer a key. In the Times article, journalist Alex Stone tells the story of how executives at a Houston airport faced and then solved a cascade of passenger complaints about long waits at the baggage claim. They first decided to hire more baggage handlers, reducing wait times in an industry-beating average of eight minutes. I mean, that is just an eternity. But, but complaints persisted. This made no sense to the executives until they discovered that on the average, passengers took just one minute to walk to baggage claim, resulting in a hurry up and wait situation. The walk time was not the problem. The remaining seven empty minutes of staring at the baggage carousel was. So in a burst of innovation, the executives moved the arrival gates farther away from the baggage claim area. (laughs) Passengers had to walk much farther, but their bags were often waiting for them when they arrived. Problems solved, complaints dropped. For the same article, Stone interviewed MIT operations researcher Richard Larson. He's the world's leading expert on waiting in lines to discover the psychology behind our waiting. People get the PhDs for the weirdest reasons, but anyway. (laughs) According to Larson, the length of our wait is not as important as what we're doing while we wait. Often the psychology of queuing is more important than the statistics of the wait itself, said Larson. Essentially, we tolerate occupied time, for example, walking to a baggage claim, far better than unoccupied time. Give us something to do while we wait, and the wait becomes endurable. That is why, so often, waiting on God feels like unoccupied time to us. We wait, but what is really happening behind the scenes of our life? Is God actually doing anything? What are we to do in the meantime? Peter wrote this, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, speaking of the end of the world, what sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? I would add that the Christian has the advantage of not only having this, his plan occupied with doing kingdom work, but he looks forward to something worth waiting for. It's not just baggage, 
we're reminded of this. Behold, we read this earlier. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. My friends, our hope is a person. Our reward is a person. One day, sitting at his feet. You'll not worry about all the sacrifices you made at that point. Uh, You're not going to be concerned with, uh, you gave too much money. We know how this is going to end. How human history will be consummated. How eternity will present an indescribable blessing to us. We'll wait because his promises are sure. Because the reward that he provides is far more incredible than what we can imagine. And it motivates us to be his servant now. Is it worth it to us to wait by offering obedience, by offering servanthood in the kingdom now? Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. For as the rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You think, why is he going to the rich here? He's applying what he just said. And by the way, who are the rich? Every one of you. Every one of you. Do you know that if you have a household, now this, is, this fact is um, at least a couple years old, but I'm sure it's still in the ballpark. If you make more than 33000 as a household income, you are richer than 95% of the world. The world. You are rich. So use it. Be glad you have it. Enjoy, but use it for the kingdom of God. Don't be proud about it. Don't brag about it. No, it comes from the Lord. He's entrusting you with it. That's one of the ways you can apply this future hope. That's one of the ways you can wait well. And he talks about money because it's one of the biggest indicators on whether our heart is all in or not, or we're just talking a good game. Christmas brings us one package in Jesus as a suffering servant, but I'm telling you, there's more to come. Our wait time is taken up with the expectation of a glorious consummation for peace, new heaven, new earth. And by the way, we're not in the queue listening to elevator music. We are on the front lines in a spiritual battle. We are battling a real spiritual enemy who constantly tries to lie to us about our future about our true identity, right? About what is truth. 
so we get anxious. We worry because we don't want to wait. You know, when Janet was pregnant with our last child, we had great hopes. We did what all parents do. We talked to that baby in the womb. We stroked it. We sang to it. And God did not fulfill our hopes. Took that baby early on in the pregnancy. Grief was real. It was intense. It didn't last for days. It didn't last for weeks. It lasted for months. It was grievous. We're both waiting to see that child again. Many of you are waiting to see family members. In some ways, life seems like a giant miscarriage. Miscarriage of justice, of peace, healing, consummation of the kingdom. I experience joy. This is not, you know, a sad and morose thing. I'm just trying to be realistic that it's hard. And that's okay. But God is still keeping his promises. This world is not what it's supposed to be. It will not always stay this way. God will execute his justice. We will wait. God has kept his promises before, and I have no reason to think that he's now going to fail. He's going to keep his promises. We wait by living lives of holiness and godliness until he comes. We wait because we have much to do. We wait because the riches of his reward far exceed our expectations. These all died, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. God loves it when you wait because it expresses faith it expresses trust that God is going to keep his promises. Don't be surprised or fearful at hardship, at sickness, like it's something new. I want to be found busy in the kingdom of God doing all I can. Janet and I have had serious conversation in the past about um, planning on going to Lebanon to view the Syrian refugees. One of our missionaries wants us to go. This is probably like any other spouse would say. She really is not too excited about me going. Honestly, as honest as I can be, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, I would rather be found dead in Lebanon doing the work of God than alive in front of my TV watching ESPN although that wouldn't be a bad way to go, but I'd rather be <laughs> in Lebanon. We've got work to do, gang. There's much to do in the kingdom of God, and I want to be found still busy. I will never retire. I may cut back, but I'm not going to quit working for the kingdom of God. There is no retirement from God's kingdom. 
I don't want to be busy for the sake of being busy. I want to be influencing lives, discipling, loving people, giving the gospel. That's how I wait for his return. Our best plan is to do all we can for the kingdom. Now because of a blessed future, because of a reward that will be rich. My waiting reminds me of what is to come. Unless Christ comes back before I die, would you make sure that on my tombstone, all I need is one word, waiting. Let's pray.